Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Welcome to the latest edition of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Delighted to have you along for another episode of the pod. Uh, lots going on over the last week since we were last with you. Big focus for the REC uh, last week, one thing internally and one thing externally. Internally, we ran our first ever fully online examinations. So making sure that we could continue to deliver that personal development and that rep professional recognition for consultants that we know matters so much. Very pleased to have got that online and you can still take REC examinations online on another date this year. If you are interested in doing that, just get in touch with our team. Of course, the big external news last week was the Chancellor's Winter Economy Plan. Lots in there. We were able to record an REC webinar almost immediately that the Chancellor sat down. So our immediate take on all of the announcements is there available on the REC website. But there are, as the details of all of the schemes come out, there's more guidance documents coming onto the REC website during the week. A broad reaction, I think there was a lot there for businesses in terms of supporting cash flow. I know a lot of REC members were very pleased with the news on being able to spread payment of that 2020 Q2 VAT bill. Clearly some changes around loan repayments if you've taken out a, a government uh, supported loan and also a, a scheme for job retention, although the job retention scheme is significantly less generous and very different in design to the furlough scheme we had earlier in the year. We're still looking at the details of that and the team are positioned to advise as you as you think about what your options are on the helpline. Now, the one area that I think we would have liked to see more is actually on job creation and transition. There was a lot in the announcement last week about preserving jobs relatively little on some of the skills and perhaps some of the tax changes that might be needed to encourage job creation and also of course getting testing right matters to being able to live normally so they obviously raised those points in our in our response as well to to the announcement last week Closer to home, we published the latest edition of the Jobs Recovery Tracker uh, on Friday. That showed that in the week between the 14th and 20th of September, we actually had the best week on new jobs postings since lockdown with over 120,000 new jobs posted. And that took the number of active job vacancies in the economy measured in partnership with our partner MZ to 1.2 million. So clear evidence that before the announcements last week, there was certainly a continuing slow improvement in the market. We'll see what more in terms of outlook for the client side when we publish our our latest edition of Jobs Outlook. Look out for that on the morning of Wednesday, the 30th of September, so coming very soon. And as you think about your own business, a reminder that the Business Leaders Guide from REC 2020 is still available on the REC website. Lots of really good stuff there. And there's also for REC professional members, there's a guide for consultants drawing on REC 2020. That's just newly launched and do check that out on the website as well. So lots going on. And one of the things that we know everyone is thinking about at the moment in the industry is the shape and structure of uh, your business as you build shape up for the recovery. And one one area where we thought we'd explore with our guest today is the increasing use of employee ownership in the recruitment sector. And we've got a fantastic pair of guests to, to join us 
uh, today to talk about that. Firstly, Deb Oxley, who's the Chief Executive of the Employee Ownership Association, which looks at representing the, the interests in the, uh, of employee-owned companies and the, and the case for employee ownership. And delighted to welcome, along with Deb, Neil Smith, who's the MD of Kinetic, and many of you might know as a former chair of the REC. Neil, Deb, thank you for joining us uh, here on the pod today. Thanks, Neil. Nice to be here. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for the fantastic intro. So why don't we kick off? And Deb, why don't you help me understand a bit about the EOA and what you're trying to do in terms of the kind of structure and the growth of employee ownership as an idea in uh, the UK? So the Employee Ownership Association, or the EOA, has been around for 41 years now. And throughout all that time, its purpose has remained pretty much the same, which is to promote employee ownership as a better way of doing business. Specifically, we spend a lot of our time campaigning for employee ownership. So that's helping get the message across about why employee ownership is good for business, either with politicians or with the media. We also, as you quite rightly described, run the membership organisation for UK employee-owned businesses. So we've got a membership of 450 plus businesses who are either employee-owned or trying to become employee-owned, so they're on the journey. So our real role is to represent their views and their interests, to campaign for more employee ownership and to ensure that the broader UK business environment understands why employee ownership is relevant and particularly why it's relevant now. The the sector, you asked about the size of the sector, the sector has grown tremendously, particularly since 2017. So there are around and about 500 employer businesses in the UK at the moment, and they employ somewhere in the region of around 200,000 people. And that's across all sectors of the economy. So professional services like recruitment are very strong. In fact, probably account for over 50%. But actually, employer businesses can be found across all sectors of the economy. The growth has been stimulated through some tax incentives from 2014, which now mean that business owners who transfer at least 51% of their business into an employee ownership trust can benefit from no capital gains tax on the proceeds of that sale. It's a growing and very popular way of managing succession, particularly for business owners who are looking to exit their business. But we've still got a long way to go before it becomes mainstream. So having the opportunity to talk about it on a podcast like this, Neil, is a is a is a great opportunity. Thank you very much. So we should probably explore, you know, how this came about. And Neil, Kinetic has made this move towards employee ownership. And Deb's just said that a lot of the growth in employee ownership's taken place in professional services sectors. And recruitment is a, quite an interesting one because a large percentage of the sector is privately held business built up by people over the course of their career. And as as the business matures and maybe people start thinking about an exit, they start thinking about what their options are. So just run me through why employee ownership was attractive for Kinetic. And we'll start to explore some of the process you went through and come back to to Debs to think about whether there's some some lessons to draw more broadly for how a recruitment firm, if it's appropriate for them, would start to think about this. Okay, great. Hi there. I'll just give you a little bit of a potted about Kinetic to put this in a little bit of context. As you as you've rightly said, a lot of recruitment businesses have um, seen a lot of change, innovation over the years. Kinetic's been around 30 years. 
Um, and through that time, without going through a great big timeline, like a lot of recruitment businesses, we've had startups within the business, we've diversified, we've moved into payroll outsourcing. We've actually had an MBO in the middle of all that as well. Like a lot of businesses, we've had to constantly innovate all the time. So that was me recognising that having been in Kinetic 25 years. And one of the key points about this was all that was done at Kinetic, all that value that was created in Kinetic was done by the people within Kinetic. We grew organically and, and all the things I've just mentioned were driven by the people in the business. So that was something that I was very conscious of as I looked at succession planning of no age, but I am the tender age of 60 now. And a couple of years ago, as the MD, I just felt very duty bound on the headline of succession planning to start thinking, this is where the business has been up to. This is what the staff have done. I've been there 25 years. It's my job to look at what model really would fit Kinetic. And um now, interestingly enough, those thoughts were around probably about three years ago. Uh, with, with, as Dev's pointed out, we've got a way to go. Very little knowledge about the actual model of employee ownership. There's lots of structures out there from the MBOs to the EMIs and various stock options. But there was nothing at the time when I started the research to, to say which model would fit Kinetic. To recognise the staff and put all the value in. To, to plan for succession and create all those lovely things that we want to do was protect the culture, the independence of the organisation. People feel they're trusted as much and they've got a share in the business. So that's where it all started from. And that was probably a bit of work by me thinking about the business two or three years ago. But as I say, what was the model? That was the question. That's fascinating, Neil. And I think from our perspective, I can think of it's a common thought process for kind of and shareholding MDs and chief execs in recruitment businesses, which is you build something up over 30 years. And obviously an exit is important, but equally you want that business to continue. You want the the thing that you've built to flourish. And uh, what the options are for making sure that happens is important. I think coming back to what Deb said earlier, none of this is about assuming there's one best way to form the capital structure of a business. You're equally as much looking at some employee ownership models, some shareholder models or some privately held models. I think a, a, a successful economy probably has a mix of all of them. But Deb, when you think about a, a business you know, like Kinetic or any kind of mature business and professional services coming to think about employee ownership as an option for them. This is a, a decision that is uh, both blessed and cursed by the term the John Lewis model in inverted commas. What sort of journey uh, would uh, a business leader like Neil typically go on as they were thinking about going for employee ownership and the kind of steps that they'd normally take? Neil makes a really good point. He looked at what the options were for the business. And I think you made a good point as well, Neil, that employee ownership isn't suitable for every business because every business is different and some owners will have different motivations. So the journey normally starts with the owner being clear about what they're trying to achieve. And and if this is an owner who wants to do what Neil suggested, which is protect the legacy of the business culture, preserve the jobs in the area, 
possibly exit on their terms, which might mean that they want a staged exit, wants to reward the employees as part of that and, and really wants to protect the brand and see that business sustain and continue beyond their existence. They're at the right stage. And the journey normally starts with them finding out about employee ownership. Either they listen to a podcast like this or they happen to meet somebody who's done it or they read an article in the press. Many of them will come to the EOA for an initial conversation just to try and understand more about it, find out if there's anybody in their sector that already does it and so they can learn from them. And then there starts a process of just understanding what it needs to be for your business because every business is different and whilst Employee ownership is really quite straightforward to implement, and there really are only three ways of doing it. Um, There's either a trust model, which is the John Lewis model, as you described it, Neil, where the shares are held in trust for the employees. There's a direct share model where individual employees all own shares, or you can have a hybrid of the two of them. So it's really quite straightforward, but because every business is unique, it's then working out what's going to work best for your business. So which of that mix of ownership structure do you need and how are you going to go about it and how is it going to work for your business? So we would normally suggest that business owners are very clear at the outset about what they want to try and achieve and they make the model work for them. And then, of course, they need to find an accountant and a lawyer who can guide them on the process technically. And thankfully, we're now at a stage where the market has matured and there are plenty of professional advisors who are able to offer best advice around uh, either the tax or the, the legals required. And there are many businesses that have done it. So anybody starting the journey now can be quite assured that they're not an early pioneer. There are lots of people to learn from. And throughout all of that, I think the bit that's most important is the sort of value that somebody like Neil from Kinetic brings, which is they've been through it. They've they've done things that they can re- reflect on. They can share that experience. And that's what a lot of business owners get through joining the EOA at the start of that journey because they get to go to events and talk to other people and have introductions and they can learn some of the lessons that of, of people who've gone before them. And all of that can take as little as three or four months or it can take as long as 12 or 18 months. It depends pace the owner themselves wants to go at. That's fascinating, Deb. And it sounded like a setup, Neil, for you to tell us a little bit about the journey at Kinetic, which is where I was going to go next. So from the decision of kind of first thinking that this was a good option for Kinetic to the point where you became employee-owned, what were the kind of the high points and the challenges on that journey? What did you learn? But I suppose, as Deb has said, I'd engage the EOA and various institutions of research and really getting clarity on what employee ownership meant. And just to jump back a little bit about just before that whole process and that journey, one thing I was very conscious of was that you can very easily, as as we've alluded to, you know, the, the, the transaction part of this can be done quite quickly. The revenue approval is pretty quick and all that good stuff uh, happens very quickly. But the big question is, where are you on the culture of your business and, and will it fit? What are your structures and your behaviours and of your people and what, it, and what is your culture? Would people see value in becoming employee-owned? And I guess if you're a command and control business, unfortunately, which is where a lot of the recruitment businesses grew up many years ago, and you walk into a room and say, you're all employee-owned, I'm off. I don't think that would work very well. So prior to, to, to any of this, I think it was really understanding how that would fit with Kinetic. We're not perfect, but when I found the model, 
really by coincidence, because that's what it was like three years ago. It was a conversation with our accountants in Manchester. What is the right model? This is what I want to do. I'm quite sure of anything out there, as alluded to at the beginning. And it, in those days, it was quite fortuitous. The company in Manchester, a firm of solicitors, had actually done one of these models. That was in November um, 17. I think I went to see him just before Christmas on LinkedIn. does work occasionally. By March, it had been done. But really, that had been precluded by a lot of thought about my team, my people, uh, and whether I thought that would fit. And, it, you know, and in the run-up to that, my management team, I'd always said to them, I never want to sell the business. I'm technically a custodian. I've only been there 25 years. The company's been there 35 years. Something needs to happen in terms of succession. I'm not sure what. Um, so I wasn't leaving lots of open-ended questions, but it was a real push to say, we need to find the right model for the company going forward. So my management team were aware of it in terms of that was my job. So and in terms of the process, then, really, once I've been introduced to employee ownership in, in the format that I felt would fit the company, which was all my shares into the trust, then really the actual process, as I said before, was pretty straightforward. The big question um, that comes up at uh, Deb's EOA meetings all around the country and also now on obviously online is not so much about the process. It's how you plan for, to, for your, the employee engagement going forward and how you drive that forward. So that was probably the biggest thought around once the transaction was seen like it was going to go fine. How was that process going to work? And in simple terms, without boring you about how we did it, we're a split site. We've got seven sites. I probably spent six months constructing a letter, which is actually on the EOA website for reference about the reasons why. Very, very straightforward reasons around the fact that it's an important step change in a model of how companies operate in this sort of new world of what we call sometimes social capitalism and try to explain to people that we're looking at the right model. So that was really, you know, the process in a way was fairly straightforward in terms of the a letter. And then we followed up some really great roadshows. And that really helped us as a company push on with some of the initiatives that we've always pushed on with like lots of recruitment businesses. Why Kinetic? What are our differentiators? What makes us better? What are our values? And much that we had strong values already, it was a way of coming together again and under this ownership model to start getting people engaged. And that's really been the core part of the process going forward. As I say, the transaction stuff was reasonably straightforward for us. And it's driving that on forward with the roadshows and just the conversations with with people now in the organisation culturally, before we had to lock down a little bit, because these aren't face-to-face now clearly, were started to change. When I go out to some of the sites and talk to people, perhaps historically, I was the MD coming out, it's their business, what do you think? The questions are very different now. And much that we did have that in beforehand and culturally I could walk into any region and talk to people very relaxed. It really started to drive the behaviours of the people even more in terms of it's your business. What do you think? I might not have answered your question, <laughs> but really in terms of the process, as I say, that the transaction stuff was pretty straightforward. It's really how you drive that on through the business. I think that is the answer to the question, Neil, isn't it? Which is that piece around it's a cultural thing and how you build support for it in the organisation and then uh, embed that in the structure going forward and maintain the level of interest and engagement 
with the model through the whole through the, the ongoing life of the organization Deb, from the point of view of the association what sort of things have you seen that really work to do that and can get make this almost just become how the the organization is yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And, and Neil's given quite a, a passionate account there, hasn't he, of how it changes people's behaviours. And that's really what employee ownership is about. It's a mechanism for empowering everybody within the organisation with a real true sense of responsibility and giving everybody that stake and a say at the same time is hugely empowering. It's, it's the difference. I always say owning something is massively powerful. And the analogy I often use is the difference between owning a car and renting a car. We all rent cars when we go on holiday. We pick it up at the airport. We use it for two weeks and we send it back covered in mud and empty crisp packets in the back. And none of us wash it or vacuum it out because we don't own it. We don't feel it's our responsibility. And that's the difference. What employee ownership does is it really unleashes the power of ownership in an individual. And when you get a group of individuals all feeling the same, it then leads to higher levels of performance and responsibility and productivity. And how you bring that to life and how you maintain that is not easy. So this isn't simply a case of saying to everybody, hey, you're an owner now and here's a T-shirt that says I'm an owner. You've really got to work at it as a business. And as Neil said, it's a cultural thing. So it's about putting in place formal processes where employee voice can be heard and can be proven to have an influence as well. So in most employee-owned businesses, you'll find, for example, uh, an employee council or a forum of representatives normally elected from the workforce who are not there as some sort of pseudo-union. So they're not there representing the employee's interests. They're representing the business's interests, but they're giving it uh, through the eyes and ears of the employees, which is different. So they've got the same shared interest as the directors have about the future of the business, but they're bringing their own perspectives to life in those discussions around key strategic decisions. So it's not about operational decision-making by committee. It's about providing the employee perspective into key strategic decisions. And often that manifests itself with an employee possibly as a trustee director of the trust that owns the shares and even an employee being on the main board. And when you get that level of accountability being handed to a group of employees, because it's normally through representation that their voice is heard, it is incredibly empowering for um, those employees. And what is a, a different set of behaviours, as Neil's described, it's suddenly their business and they feel ownership of driving costs down and driving revenues up. They hold each other to account more often. So actually, the job of managing in these businesses can be much easier because actually they individuals hold each other to account rather than waiting for managers to step in and take that responsibility and everybody starts to understand why decisions are being taken as well there's no us and them anymore it's we're all in this together and of course that takes some time as well and some education most employees won't have seen a balance sheet or a profit and loss account and just showing them it will not help them understand the numbers you have to explain the numbers but once they understand the numbers, and particularly the critical numbers, they can start to see how their own behaviour can influence those numbers, whether that's on costs or on profit or on sales, for example. So it, it takes a lot of consistent hard work to make this work. But when you do make it work, phenomenal responses and 
performance. Um, the top 50 biggest employer businesses, for example, this year we reported on their performance again, and they've outperformed against the rest of the economy on productivity. So the productivity scores of over 6% year on year from the year before. And when you see that type of number, it, there's something definitely going on in those businesses that is bringing that behavioural change to life. So just by way of a kind of work example of that, I was going to ask what employee ownerships brought Kinetic in terms of reacting to the the roller coaster ride that is 2020 in the industry and just thinking about what that change, which is a couple of years through now, now that it's a bit more embedded, is doing for Kinetic as a business in reacting to the headwinds we're currently seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Great timing in, in some respects. We, we've you know, had this bedded down for two years prior to what, what had happened or has happened. And just a couple of quick points on talking about the employee council and some of the communication areas and, and then where we are today, really, two years into EO and where we are as, a, as an economy. It's not a word of warning on the employee councils in any respect, me being the ex-accountant, I'm afraid. So when we set this all up, I drafted some quite very credible terms of reference, as you would expect, and we went through a process in terms of nominees and ballot papers and all that good stuff. Not too heavy, uh, but what what we did find again, I think it's it is cultural on the, on the level of your business and the people in it that much that we had the structure there, the employee council. It's not the fact it hasn't worked. I think it, the representation model has to work if you're a huge business. I guess we're sixty odd staff. What we've come round to now, which has been a, a godsend in a lot of ways, bearing in mind where we are now, is that it's there, it's functional, absolutely. But we, you know, we're a fairly flat structured company. And I found it's not about me going out to sites, talking to people, but back to some of those conversations with people to get the communication and the feedback and the innovation and the ideas. Our model was very much about just going out on a slightly more relaxed atmosphere into the regions. And just having that conversation, and as I say, the conversations are very different to where they were perhaps before employee ownership in terms of it's your business. It's a different model in terms of the engagement and pushing on we're doing with that. So that's where we worked it. So I'm not saying employee councils don't work. I just have a, a word of caution about trying to set them up too early. And I think the biggest topic on the roadshows that always comes up is obviously communication, employee engagement. So, you know, it's back to your culture. In terms of where we are now... I think like lots of recruitment businesses and lots of companies that I speak to outside recruitment have just had to do what they've had to do. And it's been absolutely incredible. All the things we talked about, technology, we should do more Skype calls, training online and all this stuff that we've all talked about for years that was probably going to take another five years to implement in businesses. Suddenly it has to be implemented in three months. That's brought that whole thing forward, hasn't it? And every company's done a grand job on that from what I have heard. In terms of us as a company, clearly... We've got our great strap lines that we're all in it. Well, not sorry. We're all in it together. We share success. We support each other. All those strong strap lines, stroke values that are endemic in any business really have been brought alive in what's happened. The support within the organisation where some branches might be struggling and others are doing really well, sectorial based. There is a huge, strong sense of security and support. These are observations rather than productivity technical numbers, but the, the trust, I think, there's a lot of worry, obviously, about mental health and all these big issues now. I think the security side of it in Kinetic has, has been vast. Currently, what's happening, people feel they know what's going on because we've been communicating quarterly to them, objectives right across the business as well as the numbers. 
So I think people genuinely feel as secure in their jobs as they can be. Fortunately, we've had, well, minimal redundancies. I'm talking one or two percent to actually resolve that. And I don't think anybody would not have expected that. Um, so, so naturally, that has enabled us to be just bond a lot more. And I have to say, the Zoom stuff, much that it's not totally sustainable, has enabled us to have these sort of fortnightly, weekly meetings or whatever right across the piece with lots of members of staff all together. And again, because we've had two years into the ownership model, we're not suddenly bringing people into a room in Zoom saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to innovate? What about these processes? What's happening to that customer over there? That sort of communication, be it all face to face prior to all this, is in. So these calls have just been absolutely brilliant because we know we're rocking on straight away into them rather than having to try and set the scene about your your contribution to this company is very important. All those messages have been in for two years. And people are generally very upbeat, Neil, out there, actually. It's not it's tough. The models and we was your great information from the REC on the jobs tracker always just gives us lots of hope. But there's a lot of positivity out there, as recruiters always are. But I think that's balanced by the fact that we have got this model. The knowledge share that now we're sharing vastly improves across the region, something we've always tried with key account management plans and all that good stuff. And that's suddenly really been brought to life, sharing sharing what's happening out there. So, uh, again, I hope that answers your question. But uh, I read two articles from Harvard Business the other day, the neuroscience of trust and the little things that make employees feel appreciated. Both articles from Harvard, so both credible articles. And you do read those articles now, run through them and look at your own model. The Kinetic's got its challenges, but you do read those and think, well, well placed to satisfy all the things around trust and the things that make employees feel appreciated and the trust and the honesty and the sharing of what's happening out there really, and you know, come alive in the endemic in the culture of the business. It's It's been great timing for us in terms of the fact we've, we're settled into it two years in and then this stuff's come and hit us. But uh, Again, I hope that answers your question. It does. Thank you, Neil. And I think these changes always embed better where they kind of they get a bit of a following wind. I was just listening to you there and reflecting on some of the stuff that I've been putting together for the opening keynote at Rec Expo next week. And that piece around the nature of recruitment as an information and professional services business where kind of information flow and the human skills of our consultants are going to get ever more important. That's a real following wind for the kind of discussion that we've been having. It's a real pleasure to have had the chance to dig through this with you. And just as we draw it together, Deb, if listeners to the pod want to find out a bit more about employee ownership, where would you point them? So they can do two things, actually. They can go to the EOA website, which is uh, employeeownership.co.uk. And there's lots of free resource on there, case studies, information. If anybody wants a call after that, then just drop us an email. You can directly email me, deb.oxley at employeeownership.co.uk. But we've also got a really exciting new event coming up in November called EO Boost. So on the 24th, 25th and 26th of November, a free three-day celebration and festival of employee ownership. And uh, a whole strand of that specifically focused at people who are exploring employee ownership. So three seminars across each of, of the days, some great keynote presentations, some great panel discussions. And looking at the big picture, looking ahead, how can employee ownership help? 
the UK build back better? How can it be part of a more resilient economy? How can it be part of reducing some of that wealth and income inequality uh, that we hear about? And, and most importantly, how can it help do what you said earlier, uh, Neil, which is about job creation and job protection. So yeah, plenty of places uh, to find out more information. And of course, ask your accountant because every accountant now should know about employee ownership. And if they don't, then ask them and then come to the Employee Ownership Association website and we'll be able to we'll be able to help. Deb, thank you very much for that. And thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Neil. Neil, always a pleasure to have you on any REC event from your REC Chair Emeritus seat. Uh, so thank you for joining us. No, thank you. It's been enjoyable. Thanks very much. Good to speak to you both. And thank you to all of you for joining us on this edition of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. If you've enjoyed uh, this week's uh, podcast, you can check out the back catalogue online, a couple of recent ones that might be of interest. We had Gattaca CEO Kevin Freeguard on some of the uh, challenges of navigating the crisis in an international recruitment business and one that's particularly heavy on engineering and IT. That's episode 39 or episode 38 with James Reid talking through the challenges of being a future-focused leader. So a couple there of the back catalogue, plenty to dig through there, and we're back every week with a new episode. So I'll look forward to talking to you again soon on another episode of Talking Recruitment. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon, and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.